This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, we are going to talk about physiology of football or soccer for some of our listeners. And we have a great guest for today's episode. Our guest is working as a professor and dean of Faculty of Health Sciences in the University of Faroe Islands. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Professor Magni Moore. Welcome, Magni. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I fully agree that you need to train different systems. And I, I think more we understand about biochemistry, we know that more there are different pathways. Like, for example, some needs that the glycogen stores are depleted. Some need, some come from the mechanical loading of the muscle stretching. So there's so many different things and you, it's, you cannot simplify it too much. It's always so many different things. Do you, do you think it's usually we don't understand all the all the pathways do you think it's kind of in a strength training for example kind of mixed different sets that you would stimulate all the pathways for hopefully stimulating as much much different systems as you as you need yeah i think that that just by playing football uh just by by doing normal drills on the pitch uh playing 11 versus 11 or 4 with 4 and so on, you are always stimulating all systems. Uh, you are always, st- you are, you are because of, because of being a hybrid sport. Uh, and this is also what we see uh, when we look at the, at the health outcome of football. If we take normally untrained people and we let them play football for a period of time, we see that they improve in many ways. They improve, improve, uh, their lean body mass, so they, they they gain muscle, they lose fat, they get better at utilizing glycogen as a, as a substrate, they get better at burning fat, they they train their energies, their anaerobic energy systems, they get better balance, better strength, and so on. So so, and this is the same by being on the pitch and playing, you always stimulate all systems. But uh, when you already are well trained, like the elite players are. Uh, strength training and high intensity training on the pitch are like training is is a type of training that stimulates um, pathways that that improve multiple qualities in the muscles so um, if we if we read uh, like training physiology books uh, for practitioners uh, uh, that were written uh, decades ago or 10 years ago uh, Maybe the message would be that uh, if you want to improve your high intensity exercise capacity, you need to do anaerobic training and you need to improve your endurance, you need to do endurance training. So, but things are much more complex when we start to think in physiological systems. And, and if you can like maintain your endurance uh, by, by playing football, then the high intensity actions or individual training performed on the pitch as high intensity drills is what can improve you further not only your explosiveness or your anaerobic abilities but also your endurance capacity 
And uh, recently, several groups, uh, research groups, especially in Denmark, but also in, in Canada, have done uh, studies showing that uh, even in endurance sports, uh, like long-distance runners, if you reduce their training volume markedly, but you increase the intensity, they improve not only their anaerobic abilities, but they also improve their endurance capacity. So this is back to that 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 high intensity training, uh, high intensity aerobic training, and anaerobic training may be the best type of training to improve your ability if you already have a solid uh, aerobic base. Could could you give us examples of high intensity training? Would you put them a little bit for every day, or would you have like just certain days a little bit more? How how would you program it in in the training program? Yeah, I could make some examples that if you play on uh, on uh, if you play on Sunday, uh, and you are one of the players that play the entire game, yeah, you don't do any high intensity training except the strength training on the Monday, on the two first day. But then you have the Wednesday and the Thursday, and even the Friday uh, if if it's a one week a uh, one game week, where you can do high intensity training. And and when we say high intensity interval training, we have different categories we have what we call aerobic high intensity training which is uh, normally intervals where you work for one minute or four minutes and you recover maybe for for uh, 30 seconds up to three minutes depending on on the interval interval range but you don't go above uh, three four minutes in the intervals and then we have the anaerobic intervals which which normally is sequences where you have 15 to to 30 seconds of really really all out intensity so so then i would use uh, for that player or those players that played on on the sunday i would use uh, uh, these training categories as part of the training on wednesday thursday and friday if you are have players that didn't play uh, you would obviously do this on monday Uh, and maybe Tuesday as well. So basically, aerobic high intensity and anaerobic high intensity. Do you see a role for plyometrics or kind of single explosive actions, for example, jumps? Yes. Uh, uh, like when we when we the, 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 it's a little like it depends on the terminolo- terminology that you're using, but the, we usually separate it into uh, the, like the. This part, the power training we call it power because uh, instead of using strength it's uh, power is much more precise in, in relation to requirements of football but uh, we call it uh, that you have to train your basic power and this is what you do in in the gym when using weights or using external load but then we all have what we call transference power and these are like plyometrics and jumps and uh, accelerations uh, change of direction uh, You can also do it in the gym, uh, but you can also do it elsewhere. And this is like a type of training where you try to use the strength that you have gained from your basic strength training into movements without any external loads, but where you use where you but that are specific for football. And then we have the next step, which is football power. And this is with where you are on the pitch with your boots on, and you uh, you such as uh, agility training, uh, jump training, and speed training, where you train those abilities on the pitch. So this is how we like uh, differentiate between different areas of, of power. So so this is clearly something that should be done 
any week, every week. Uh, and then, then it's up to you to, to juggle between uh, basic power and transference power and, and, and football power, depending on the level of your team, uh, the league that you're playing in. Uh, maybe some of the players, they do more basic power. Some of them are doing less basic power. So it's, it's also, again, uh, in relation to your role in the team. And and how would you say you probably know quite a bit how teams are training? Do you see different cultures in the teams that are kind of modern in their training? They understand these principles, but they would do quite differently because there's so many ways to do do training. Yeah, yeah, there are the, and and it's not like what I'm saying now. It's it's, it's one model. This is not the truth as such because you can you can be very successful uh, and you can do. You can do fitness training in a successful manner in many ways in football, uh, but it it depends very much on the culture. Uh, in in some uh, uh, regions, uh, it's it's more. Uh, if you go to Eastern Europe, it's uh, maybe still uh, uh, very normal to run without the ball, for example. Maybe also in Germany still. Uh, and if you go to other regions, it may be a, a, a better culture or a, a stronger culture for gym training. So, so it's it's very dependent on on, on where you are. But uh, uh, today, if you go to the to the, the big leagues, uh, I think it's not it's not uh, it's not a matter of culture if you are in England or in Spain because uh, it's a mix of the coaches are coming from all over the world. So. So in those teams, it's uh, I think it's more driven by science than it has ever been before. Then and it's more driven by science than culture at, at the highest level. And you said that you have quite many times already differing training for different role and for the tactics of the team. Do you see like uh, individualist training based on the athletes' inherent capabilities, like for example muscle type, fiber composition? Other sports, like for example, endurance sports, have noticed that it's quite a different training. Some use, for example, block training that they do five days, for example, in a row, very intensive, and then they recover for a month. And it fits some people, and for some, it's disastrous. So, do you do you have this kind of things yet that you would kind of individualize for uh, inherent? Yeah. Again, I think uh, I think it's it's very important to remember that that. that that football is so complex and and now we're speaking primarily about the, the physiological side of it but uh, but you always need to approach football from an integrated approach so you need always need to to because it's it's it's, it's everything is is a, it's it's a matter of choice so if you if you choose to do something uh, that has uh, main emphasis on the physiological side of it are you then compromising something uh, technically and tactically And the same if you're doing a, a tactical session, but with very little uh, physiological stimulus, are you then compromising the physiological side of it? And this is why we, it's so important to 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 be aware of uh, of uh, the individual and the specific demands uh, of of this game. In relation to to those examples that you are mentioning from from primarily from uh, track and field sports uh, with fiber types and so on, if you want to investigate that, you need to take muscle biopsies, uh, and and normally you don't do that 
just to de- just to determine the the fiber type but but you you are aware of when when you are a coach and you're working with a team you know that okay this guy or this woman is uh, is uh, primarily an endurance uh, uh, as primarily an endurance profile and those players that are really explosive you see this is a player that has uh, great uh, skills within explosiveness and speed and and i think that then that you have to be aware of that maybe those outliers uh, that you have those players that can that have the endurance profile they can tolerate in generally they can tolerate much more training and a much higher training load and sometimes you need to be careful with those really explosive players that, that you they can't uh, not they, they cannot always train uh, with the same load, so you need to spare them sometimes uh, uh, and to control what they are doing and have other options for those. Uh, I would not, I would not like try to detrain in relation to fiber types like uh, like you are doing in individual sports because then you are compromising uh, uh, some of the football part of it. So, so you cannot you can never do. Uh, uh, you can never do optimal fitness training in football. You always need to to look at it from a holistic point of view. Yeah, I, I can I can easily see that. So it's it's quite complex doing doing the strength and conditioning training with with all the other training. How would you simplify the message to coaches? You you know a little bit how the culture is. There's some points to improve. How would you simplify the message to coaches? Simplify it. It's it's it, it's like it, it depends very much on your practical scenario. So if you have ten uh, coaches in your squad and three fields uh, side by side uh, every time you train, then it's quite easy to to do individual training and to be very uh, in specific individually wise. But if you are in a in a in a smaller setting where you don't have these opportunities, uh, uh, you need to uh, you need to be creative. Uh, and um, yeah, it's it's. I, I would say that it is a challenge to communicate many of these things to the coaching environment. But uh, but uh, with data, uh, if you have uh, data analysis and you can show coaches uh, how extreme the differences between players can be, uh, and at the same time that you can show them with clips, uh, what we have used many many times. Uh, from a like uh, from a learning point of view uh, or pedagogical point of view is to 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 combine the data that we get from match analysis with video clips and i think that's a very good way to communicate uh, with with coaches because because many coaches most coaches they what they understand very well is 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 what they see uh, game wise and football wise so i think that's uh, that's the way to communicate. So, so try to, to communicate in in the same language that uh, that is being used in the football environment. For most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project, especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time causes unnecessary stress and hassle, and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. 
Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting-edge, next-generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is s-e-n-s.fibian.com. Fibian. Created by researchers for researchers. And would you say that individualizing the training for the role and the tactic is, is the most the easiest thing to improve in the in the training? Uh, I would not say that it's the easiest, but it's it's one of the most important things because um, because if you are always training your team as a group uh, and if you don't focus or emphasize or prioritize uh, the most important thing things for the individual player, uh, what you don't train, you you don't improve on. That's uh, that's how easy it is. So. So, uh, so I think that as a coach, you need to think why why is this player part of my team? Uh, what is he or she good at? Uh, what are their primary competences, and and what are they lacking to be uh, better at fulfilling that role that I have intended them to do? And then I need to do okay, how can I train that? Uh, and sometimes you can do that in a group setting. Uh, for some areas, but some of these issues you have to train on an individual basis. You have to break the game down uh, to small sequences and try to replicate those and to to do those as close to the game as possible. And I think it's it's I, I like that way of working. I think it's uh, you, you are you are able to be creative. You are able to to make new drills for the players, to surprise the players. And, and from a player's point of view, uh, the players, they are also a key component in this process because they are actually playing the role in the team. And they are also reflecting on this because they, they know what they are good at. And they also know what they, are, uh, what they could be better at in relation to their primary uh, role in the team. So... So one important step in this is to communicate with the players and to, to take the players on board in relation to decision-making. So, so I think that this is the way, this is the way to do it, to, to also discuss the drills with the players and not, not only be, the, the top, be at the top and dictate what people should do, but, but to take the players on board, especially if you are at the... At the elite levels, uh, the players have a lot to contribute with. And, and so basically different roles need different kind of different types of physiologies, different type of training. Could you give some examples of different, different position and what do you think is the maybe closest to the ideal physiology of, of the current players? Yeah, I would say that, that uh, we know that there are huge individual, uh, huge positional differences. So we know that uh, if you if you are a central midfielder, or the average central midfielder, you are uh, you your your endurance 
capacity do not necessarily need to be at the same level as if you are uh, uh, an attacker or if you are even if you are an uh, a wing midfielder or you are uh, one of the central midfielders uh, or fullback for that sense so 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 this is like uh, I, I would say that looking ahead the central midfielders is that is the position that is the only position in the team in general that is not utilizing their entire physical capacity in a game and also the goalkeeper so there are some perspective of of in the, for the future to how do, how you how can you use those positions better uh, in order to use use uh, use their physical capacity better and uh, if you are playing a uh, the, the general uh, fullback or the general uh, wide midfielder, uh, you usually have. You usually need to have uh, like a mixed profile. You need to be fast. You need to be very uh, strong anaerobically, but you still you also need to have a high uh, aerobic capacity. In relation to the central midfielders, uh, it depends a lot on uh, on how we, how you play because you can play uh, with a holding midfielder that is uh, that is very stationary that does not move that much and you can or you can play with uh, a more attacking midfielder and if you have uh, the attacking midfielders that those positions are normally one of the most demanding in, in the team so you also need to have a physiological profile primarily uh, close to or close to what I described before for the fullbacks and central midfielders. In relation to attackers, we see quite a huge variability uh, between between attacking types and, and, and how, how you play tactically. So, so we see uh, attackers with the same profile as, uh, as the central midfielders, or no, as the central defenders. Uh, and we see attackers with, uh, with more midfield type of physiology. So, so, so this is maybe the generic picture, but when we look within the different positions, we see huge individual differences. Uh, so, so, so it's which again adds to the complexity that you cannot just say that this is training for uh, midfielders or central midfielders or attackers. It needs to be put into that specific player's context, and it also needs to put into the the perspective of the team what what the coach actually wants to develop. So if we talk about Usain Bolt, that he he wanted to get to professional football and he at least had the sprinting speed and the acceleration, what were your your thoughts when he was trying? What, what did you think how how it will go before before seeing how it went? I think it was uh, it was quite fun and uh, and interesting from a media point of view, uh, but uh, with his profile. Uh, Uh, I would say that there would have been two options, either to play attack or central midfield. Uh, but uh, yeah, otherwise, I, th I think it was it was a fun uh, and interesting uh, event. Yeah. Do you think if he would have the skills, the motor skills, he would have actually been practicing 20 years with the ball and be skillful? Do you think his physiology would have have fit, or he could have trained quite fast to fit fit the game? Yeah, yeah, and, and we see we see several types uh, of players that have that profile uh, that could maybe also have been uh, been sprinters. So uh, so we see several several types in all the big leagues uh, that that are 
that have that profile. So, so I'm, I'm quite confident that he, that he's an athlete and, and the good thing about football is that, uh, that most types uh, of, of athletes uh, can be, can be football players. You can, depending on your, your, your fiber types or your stature, uh, we see, we see players in, in all, in all sizes and all types. So, so uh, and now that op- obviously also goes for using Bolt. He, he obviously could also have been a football player at a high level, yes, if he trained from from childhood. Yeah, and who would you say are the sprinter style style players currently? Yeah, so uh, you see uh, Lukaku, for example, uh, is uh, like is a good example uh, of of that type of player. Uh, Ronaldo is also that type of player, or at least used to be. But uh... so, so very, very interesting things. And you have also done some some really nice studies related to fatigue and glycogen depletion. Could you tell a little bit about those studies and and findings? Yeah, as we have, uh, like, uh, if I could go back in time, then uh, then uh, uh, in in the 1960s, uh, some Swedes developed. Uh, The muscle biopsy technique is where you can, uh, with a biopsy needle, go into the muscle and take a piece of muscle out, and and analyze it for, uh, yeah, different substances uh, and among these glycogen, and um, and uh, yeah, uh, this is a technique that we have used uh, several times, and we're one of the few groups in the world that are actually taking muscle biopsies during football games. Uh, and we've done a number of studies where we have taken biopsies, taking players out of the game. Uh, Early in the game, in middle of the game, in relation to intense periods, and at the end of the game, uh, and also after the game to look at the recovery. and And one of the focuses uh, in, in this has been on the muscle glycogen or the muscle sugar uh, that you have uh, stored in your muscles. And we see that that football is a type of activity that is very glycogen consuming. Uh, you break down your glycogen quite fast and the high rate, and you break down glycogen in, in both uh, the endurance and the, the, and the, and the fast uh, uh, muscle fiber types. And uh, we have also looked at uh, different sites in the muscle that you also break down uh, glycogen pools that are in, in, different, uh, in different areas in the muscle cell. Uh, and one of the very interesting things uh, about muscle glycogen in football or the muscle glycogen usage in football compared to other sports is that that after the game if you if you are in the tour de france and you empty all your glycogen stores during one day of of cycling then after 24 hours you can get back to normal this is not possible in in football and we believe that it's related to uh, Uh, to the the eccentric work that you do, that you do a lot of changes of direction, and you get small injuries in your muscle cell, uh, and and some of the physiological adapt- or responses to that may hamper or reduce or impair uh, your ability to to refill your muscle glycogen stores. So so that may be uh, one of the causes of fatigue uh, in the second half of a football game. Uh, that because we know that muscle glycogen it affects uh, several important uh, mechanisms uh, in the muscle cell that are needed to, in, in order to produce force. 
and and the long recovery that we see in football, the, one of the reasons that you can't play uh, every day like you do in, for example, in team handball, uh, you, you you normally play uh, much more, uh, or, or you have a much frequent uh, or shorter time between games. Uh, this is one of the reasons that you can't do that. It's because of of the physiological loading uh, of of football. And and I saw also that you have done like specifically looking at different fiber types and the depletion in in those. Could you tell tell more about how how does it how is it depleted in a in a game? Yeah, we see that the, the when you start start a game and you are well prepared, we see that both uh, the slow twitch uh, fiber types and fast twitch fiber types are, are are full of glycogen, and then we see at the end of the game. Uh, Both fiber types are uh, are uh, are emptied of glycogen or or nearly emptied. So so both uh, fiber types are are low uh, on glycogen and and are low to a degree where we know that it will affect performance. This is one of the main uh, causes or indirect causes of fatigue in football, and this is something that we're quite investigating further right now. And do you think you could, for example, use this information somehow that actually you said that the game is depleting both, but could you, like, for example, probably after strength training, the fast muscle fibers are depleted and then you still have the slower muscle fibers are probably performing well. So can you, can you kind of use it for your advantage? Yeah, you can, you if it was like that in football that uh, for example you only used uh, one of the fiber types then you could do a different type of training the day after but but the co- the reason or the the effect of that both fiber types are being utilized uh, it tells us that uh, that uh, the, the need of recovery is quite high but we can use this type of information to to prioritize uh, pro- proper nutritional strategies but also maybe Uh, to plan the training, how do you train uh, the last day before the game? For example, you need to avoid an anaerobic training, or you need to avoid training that is glycogen consuming. Uh, and one of and another like thing that you can use this type of information is if you do strength training, you can basically reduce the degree of muscle injury, and that may uh, promote a refilling of the glycogen stores. So these are just examples of how you can 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 translate that uh, those findings into to practice. So basically, strengthen your tendons and your aponeurosis for the eccentric demands of the game with the, with basically eccentric training in the gym. Yes, strengthening the uh, the ability of the muscle fibers to tolerate uh, that type of stress that you that you experience during a game. Really, really interesting points. Uh, do you have something you would like to to add in the in the discussion? No, uh, not necessarily. I think it's, uh, it's it's a pleasure to be given the opportunity to to discuss these types of things. I've been been involved with football uh, most uh, yeah most periods of my life, and and been working as a football researcher for for twenty five years. So so it's uh, it's always a privilege to be able to. To talk and discuss. Yeah, this this was really nice discussion. Maybe maybe as a last question, I think there's probably quite many people interested doing doing research with you or collaborating. Is there any type of persons you are you are looking, or do you have any positions open? 
we always have, we are always the group that I'm working with uh, in, in, in relation to football research, uh, primarily at the University of Southern Denmark. Uh, this, this is the world leading group uh, within football research, and we are always uh, looking for collaborators. And, and the type of work we do with football is quite uh, uh, broad scale. So we're, we're looking at uh, cognition in football, strength training in football, nutrition in football, talent identification, uh, women's football. So we, we are basically covering uh, most aspects. So, so basically anybody that is interested is always always welcome to, to drop us a mail, an email or, or to, to, to be interested. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks. This was really, really fascinating discussion for the coaching science. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.